everyone. My name is Brendan Marr, that noisy earrings my ventilator. Welcome to Mando Monday. Okay, folks, it's time to review the Mandalorian Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. Now, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, that's already going to have a a very Tolkien-esque name, like the Minds of Moria from Fellowship of the Ring. And there's going to be some Tolkien stuff here. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's begin at the beginning. It's Boonta Eve on Tatooine. Kelly is up to her usual shenanigans with scamming her customers and using the Jawas to uh, trick people out of their money. <laughs> Which uh, I think it's important that not only is it a fun, entertaining scene, scene as Kelly always is, but what's the idea here? What's the, what is the meaning of this particular scene? Well, I don't think every scene needs to have a deep meaning. I think sometimes it could just be fun. And it gives us a little more insight into, um, into her character, you know, being kind of the, uh, one of those intergalactic skellywags, uh, you know, a mechanic who's uh, known for her, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but basically she's uh, cheating her customers. Now, what she's doing is she's telling this Rodian that you know, I'll be able to repair your speeder. But I need two months to do that. Because it'll take me a while to get the parts. And she's like, but I'll, I'll put a rush on it for you. As soon as the Rodian leaves, some jealous show up and say, hey, here's the parts you want. So the trick is, she strips parts off the speeders, gives those parts to the Jawas. The Jawas repaint those parts. The owner of the missing parts comes to Pelly, and she says, oh, I'll get you those parts, and they don't realize she's scamming them by selling them the very same parts that she stole off their speeders. And the Jawas are repainting. Now, does this paint Pelly in a bad light? Well, maybe. But Pelly is one of those characters that, like so many of the great rogues in Star Wars, is not 100% good and not 100% evil. Now, if, if we were to examine what this means, at least, what does this mean to me? It's a scam. 
Why is that important to the story? Well, as far as we understand it, Mando is in a cult. And like so many cult leaders, the, the armor is scamming her followers. Now, I think that Telly, you know, whereas Telly deliberately is scamming her customers, I don't think the armorer is deliberately scamming her followers. I don't think every leader of some religious, um, even even questionable religious offshoots, are necessarily scamming their followers. Now, um, most of the cults that we consider cults, you know, the Heaven's Gate cult and the other cults, it, they were very clearly being scammed by somebody who may have believed what they preached, but also wanted power. Um, though in many cases, I think it's clear that they don't believe what they said they believed, but it's really hard to tell. Now, I, I heard a rumor or a theory, a theory, the other day where someone was saying they would really like to see the armor of being a hypocrite. You know, they wanted to deliberately see weakness from the armor, see that the armor was just scamming everybody because uh, they wanted that, that vindication. I don't think we necessarily need to see that. I mean, it would it would be very interesting to see the armor, you know, like being a hypocrite to what she says she believes. I think it would be more interesting if she really does believe it. So, long story short, that's what I got out of this scene. That Telly is scamming her customers just like the armor is scamming her followers in a way. And I think that that's going to be an important part of this season. Uh, and whether or not Nando chooses to reject this uh, cult or change it to the better, I don't know. Now, we, we think, and, and I know I do this too, that we have the whole story, and we don't yet. There may be new information that is revealed that makes us have to rethink what we thought about the Children of the Watch. Time will tell. Anyhow, Dan and Grogu get to Tully's shop, and Dan's like, we need this you know, memory circuit for IG-11. But Telly's like, well, I don't have that. Because that's old technology, but you can take R5 with you. This R5 is the very same R5 R5D Thor that had a bad motivator in A New Hope. 
the one that blew its top, and they had to take R2-D2 instead. And R2, R2 is a bit of a scaredy cat. But Tilly's like, oh, don't worry. He can help you out. He's He can help you figure out if the atmosphere of Mandalore is safe or not. So they head off to Mandalore, and R5 is a scaredy cat. Uh, Din explains some things to Grogu. Tells him about a bit of the history of the Mandalorians. How to fly a starship. What happened to the violent Mandalorians who wouldn't accept the pacifist government. So he explains some details to Grogu. Details that are later later going to be important. They sit down on the planet, which is it it looks crystallized. The surface it's completely devastated by the Empire's purge of the planet. Uh, they send R five out to see what's going on, and he disappears. Off, off their trackers. So Din goes in to find him. Where he's attacked by creatures called Elamites. Which are similar to the... Um, the, the creatures from the, the uh, movie and book, The Time Machine. Yeah, the, the underground creatures. That's what they reminded me of. Um, you know, he's still trying to learn how to use the Darksaber. He's not very good with it, but he manages to defeat them. He finds R5. They check the air. It's breathable. So, Dennis, Grogu, follow him. And they go deep into the ruins of the capital city of Mandalore. Sundari, because Bokatan told him the sacred waters were underneath the civic center. And on oh my word, the, the technology has advanced with the stagecraft and the volume technology that visually this episode is stunning. And the interior of the ruins of Sundari are so amazing. So they go really deep, and while they're there, they get attacked by some kind of mechanical arachnid. It's got an organic eye. This creature captures Din, and Din tells Grogu, go find Bokotan, go get help. And Grogu heads off on his own to go back to the N1 Starfighter and tells R5 they need to set course for the planet Kalabala, which we already visited, and get Bo-Katan from her castle. So Din gets in a fight with this. Well, he, he didn't get in a fight. He got taken by this thing. I'm not really sure what you call this thing. And the thing sticks Din 
in a cage and starts sucking, sucking his blood out into some kind of pump machine. The mechanical arachnid is actually this um, weird, like a like a, a cyborg being that climbs out of the big arachnid. So it's like he's like driving this mechanical arachnid like a tank. And I'm not sure what in the world this thing is. I don't even know what you call it, but it's pretty nasty looking. And um, and it's got so it starts sucking out Dan's blood. So Gorgu gets in the ship and flies to Kalavala. He shows up on Kalavala, and Bokatan sees the ship fly in, and she's like, she's like, oh gosh, I thought I told Dan to stop bothering me. So she goes out and she sees Grogu. Now, Grogu's verbal skills have improved, but not enough to be able to talk. So they download the data from Arthive, and Bokatan, in her gauntlet Starfighter, sets off with Arthive and Grogu to find Din. From the, from the downloaded information from Arthide, Bokatan learns that what she thought she knew about Mandalore was false. The atmosphere is not toxic, which is something that she believed. In fact, in the previous episode, we saw that Bokatan, because a lot of the Mandalorians had rejected, rejected her, that she lost her faith in the future of her people. You know, lounging around on her um, sad throne, as Elden Diaz calls it, uh, being very, like, eh, there's no point in it. And one of the things I think we've seen in this season so far is the idea of change. But also the idea of having faith. Um, having faith in something. And we've seen that throughout a lot of recent Star Wars is people regaining their belief in something. We saw that with Luke. We're seeing that with Bo-Katan. We're seeing that with several other characters. Um, now, one of the cool things about this episode is if you're a Star Wars The Clone Wars fan, if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, there's going to be a lot in these episodes that you're going to be like Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood punting at the TV screen. Saying, I recognize that. I know what that is. And if you haven't seen those shows, I think you'll still enjoy enjoy this episode. So we um we go deep into the caves and those Ella knights attack Bokatan. 
she makes quick work of them because she is uh she what what a fight scene i mean she's fast and agile and i mean i love kitty saka so it was pretty cool we learned that the other knights used to live on the surface in the wastelands out in the middle of nowhere is this an interesting comment on class were the Allen knights kicked out because of their quote-unquote savagery at least in the at least in the minds of the mandalorians and now they kind of moved back in is it possible that this was land taken from them since they seem to be cave rollers I wonder if the city was built over where they used to live. I don't know. You know, the sense of um, something got taken from them. So then they go down into the cave, and Bokotan takes on this this little this creature that's got Din. She picks up the dark saber and turns on her little. Um, combat shield it's like a buckler and she gets a really cool fight scene with the other knight creature what's weird is that the other knight is the feet or not the other knight the whatever that spidery leg thing is which is weird as soon as she defeats it its head which apparently houses some kind of crustacean-like creature crawls off and gets into the big mecha suit again and starts to fight her until she finally defeats it with the Darksaber. Now, it's interesting to wonder yet again, what's what do I take away from this scene? Well, I think that this creature has to go through like three phases of existence before it is defeated the neck its regular body its head it all refuses to die you could look at this at least i look at this as either the empire refusing to die because even with the, the defeat of the empire in the original trilogy it didn't die and we know it comes back so it never died so it was like it was clinging on to life. I also interpret it as how no matter all these terrible things that happened to the Mandalorians, some of them never stopped believing. Never stopped believing in the idea. They may all disagree on how to live the creed but they all many of them agree now some like Bo, like Bo are losing faith um, but some like Din always believe in the creed whatever that creed is so it's the idea that it takes a long time to destroy evil ideas 
But it also takes a long time to destroy hope. At least that's what I get out of it. Uh, Din and, 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 uh, Bo frees Din. And they have a conversation about Mandalore. And he's, and Din says for, I gotta go deep into the mines to bathe in the living waters. So that I can be redeemed. And, and Bo's like, do you still believe that stuff? It's like, well, what are we without the creed? And I think that what's interesting is, personally, and like I said, we may find out, um, we may have to rethink things in a couple of episodes. I think the children of the watch are not good. I think that some of their teachings are dogmatic. But like so many things, because there's a group of people messing with taking the core of faith and distorting it, does that mean that core is wrong to begin with? And my belief is, no, it doesn't. For example, I believe in the core of Christianity, the teachings of Jesus. Now, we have seen many people abuse his teachings. I don't believe that makes the teachings of Jesus wrong. I think what it means is that people need to rethink the their theology. And that's what I think is going on here. That the idea of the Mandalorian Creed, I think is a good thing. I think that the children of the watch are a problem. And like I said, in a couple of episodes, that may prove us wrong. But Bo starts to get a little bit of her faith back. At least toward the end of the episode. And Din tells her, yeah, I believe in this stuff. Even though Bo has lost faith in herself. So Bo decides to humor him. And lead him to the living water, which, like I said, she doesn't believe in. They get to the pool at the very bottom of, of Sundari, of the city. On the way there, this is the first time that we hear about Bo and her sister Satine, their father. Bo, of course, visited these waters when she was a child and came into the water to take the creed. And everybody was there to watch her do it, I guess. She sees it only as theater. You know, doing it just to make her dad happy. I wonder if that's why she's lost a bit of her faith is She's looking back and saying, I never really believed it. I was just doing it for show. But we know from season two of The Mandalorian that she did believe it. I think she had a crisis of faith when she failed to return to her people 
without the dark saber or with the dark saber i should say because mando couldn't just give it to her because she failed to return with the dark saber having won it from moff gideon at least that was the that was i guess what was quote unquote supposed to happen a lot of her people abandoned her it looks like some of them went to join the children of the watch so it, it looks like both faith is been kind of up and down throughout her life and based on what we saw happen to her in the clone wars and in rebels it's not hard to understand why she suffered a lot in her life but uh you know her father gave his life defending mandalore and Bill says he was proud of me and Din says this is the way now she doesn't respond but I wonder if that's in a way that's both thinking about that statement and the reason she doesn't say anything is because she's got to think about what does that statement mean you know, it's something the children of the watch say a lot it sounds like something all mandalorians say at some point i think maybe this might be the first moment where bill says maybe i'm thinking about this the wrong way maybe this could be the beginning of the first step into a larger world so they come down to the pool and there's this big pool and bill you know sarcastically reads this plaque that's written on the side of the chamber explaining what the waters are and she sarcastically reads that oh it used to be the lair of the mythosaur and mandalore the great was tamed by the mythosaur in these waters and blah 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 and she's not taking it very seriously after she's done mando starts to swear the creed and walks into the water he's taken off his jetpack and he, he swears the creed but just as he's finishing he falls into the water and because he doesn't have his jetpack he sinks like a rock <laughs> so Bo, without thinking taking no time puts her helmet on and dives in after him showing that she is quite heroic uh, though it does make me ask the question did she go to mandalore to find din because she is worried about him are worried about losing the Darksaber for good. But at this moment, it seems like she does care about Din. In this moment, at least. And she dives in and she swims down, picks up Din, and swims up to the surface. Because she's got her jet back on. 
Now, apparently, the mythosaurs are supposedly extinct. But as they're swimming to the surface, what do they see? A mythosaur. Bo's reaction is very startled in the water. And she takes him to the surface. And he's just fine. And they're all good. And that's the end of the episode. So, the, why is the mythosaur so important? In the book of Boba Fett, the armorer says, when the mythosaur rises again, it will symbol a new age of Mandalore. I don't think Bo believed that up to this point. And that's why she is being so sarcastic about the mythosaur lair. But now that she's seen one with her own eyes, I think this is a big step forward for her. Where it goes next, I have no idea. <laughs> because I, I stayed away from a lot of the trailers and stuff. So I don't know where this story's going to go. All I will tell you is what an incredible ending. Now, I figured that's what we were going to see in the water once we got to the water. I didn't think about it till watching the episode. When I saw that the pool was fairly deep, I thought, ooh, I bet there's a mythosaur in there. Now, mythosaur, the skull of the mythosaur is also the symbol of the Mandalorians. So it means a lot to the people. It means a lot to the Mandalorian people. Uh, by the way, folks, apparently it only lets me record for 30 minutes at a time. So the last, like, five minutes of me talking got cut off. So, that being said, I'm going to continue. Okay, I got a little long-winded, so I'm going to keep it short. When Mando stepped into the water and sunk... That made me think, the way I interpreted it, is not only does it allow Bo-Katan to have to step up to the plate, and if he didn't sink, she would have never seen the mythosaur, and she needs to see it more than anyone, because she needs to have her, her faith reignited. But the way I interpret him sinking is dogma. Dogma and faith are two very different things. Dogma is a faith on the, is, is a, not a faith, dogma is a focus on the rules, I think. At least that's the way that I, I interpret dogma. And while missing the point of what are the, what, what is it all about at its core? There was a group in the New Testament called the Pharisees. And they were very dogmatic. And Jesus would remind them that all your rules and rituals aren't going to save you if your hearts are in the wrong place. And the Pharisees were very focused on you can't do this on Sunday. 
or or Saturday in their case. You can't say this. You can't walk this many feet. You can't interpret it that way. And and, and this is no shade on people who do believe in those rules. Just for myself personally, I look at it as how Jesus had to remind them that they had to have their hearts in the right place. I think the way as it stands right now, I think the children of the watch are very dogmatic. And that that dogma is causing them to sink. Uh, the dogma that Din unfortunately clings to. I think as time goes on, he's going to have a change in perspective. We've already seen that he's had a change in perspective. Um, so I think that... Sorry, I keep saying I think so many times. The the creed of the Mandalorians, their faith, is not is not wrong. It's not bad. I think it's a good thing. It's whenever someone becomes so entrenched in dogma that they forget what not they don't forget, but they become so locked in that they become inflexible and more than that they don't they've lost the core of what it all means so that's how i interpret the scene is that he's sinking because he's holding on to dogma and it's up to bo katan who may not be it's possible she may not be 100 percent right you know there may be more element more layers to this conflict between Bo-Katan and the armor than we know at the moment. That she dives in and saves him with a more, a less dogmatic outlook. And he's able to save him. And as they're down there, Bo sees for herself when they see the Mythosaur that her beliefs are not in vain. And that she doesn't need to be sarcastic and cynical about it. And the last thing I want to ask before we end is, so Bo has seen the Mythosaur. Is the armor going to believe her? That's what I want to know. Now, in the, in the last episode, Mando told the armor, even though the armor believed that the planet was completely uninhabitable and that there was no hope in going there to be redeemed, Mando says to her, if I go to Mandalore and bathe in the living waters, will you let me back in? Now, she doesn't say... I think she says this is the way. She doesn't really say yay or nay. So she might have been a little, um, what's the right word? Being a little bit tricksy, so to speak. 
that maybe she could go back on on their quote unquote deal. You know, possible deniability, maybe. But even if he and Bo return to wherever the children of the watch are and say, yes, we can testify to you that Mando bathed in the waters, is the armor A going to believe them? And B, is she even going to say, yeah, okay, you can come back in? So there, there's a lot of questions to be answered. Where the story goes now, I have no, no idea. And I'm glad I don't. So we'll see where it goes. So I think my episode that I just did for you today is longer than the episode of The Mandalorian. That being said, those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think of my long-winded ramblings. <laughs> my name is Brendan Marr. That noisy hearing is my ventilator. Thank you for tuning in to Mando Monday. Presented by Page Turn If They Were Not, my Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. <laughs>